The only reason across the globe today over two and a half billion people are gathering together in different in services like this, services that are different to this, across the globe for, because of one reason, because of Jesus. And uh, I'm just so grateful that you're here this morning. And if you're visiting, we'd like to give you a massive welcome. Let's give our visitors a big welcome. We, we appreciate that you'd give us a Friday morning. To, uh, to, to share this, uh, this for us, the Christian church is a wonderful, uh, for us it's one of the most, the most important part of our Christian calendar, followed up by Easter Sunday. You know, we wouldn't be, this would be pointless if it wasn't for Easter Sunday. It's a bit like currently we're watching a, um, a series on Stan uh, at the West Wing. And so our DVDs ran out, so now we had to sign up for a Stan subscription to watch the rest of it. And... Um, but the thing is, we know that there's, we, we knew there's a season three. But when we're watching season two and the cliffhanger comes, it's sort of minimized because you know there's a season three. Good Friday is a little bit like that. So, you know, there's a, Good Friday presents a cliffhanger in, in, in the world, but we know that there's a, another season that comes next. And so we can celebrate season two, we can celebrate the impact and the truth of today. And so our message this morning, our theme for Easter is trying to wrestle with the question, good enough? Am I good enough? Are you good enough? And if you're visiting with us or if you're just part of our church family, you might be wondering, well, who gets the right to define what good is? Who gets the, the right to, to define that? Who, who says what is good? And then, not only who says what is good, it's who defines what is enough. Who has the rights to determine whether you measure up to this standard called good enough? Let me tell you up front, it's not me. I'm not the one that is here to, to tell you whether you're good enough or not. It's not... The lawmakers of the land, whilst the police certainly have standards, and I'd encourage you, I had a bit of a drag off driving up to church this morning with one of our church members who said, I'll give you a race at the traffic lights. Let me just say that he was speeding at the traffic lights this morning. I didn't tell anyone who it was, Andre. Don't worry. (laughs) There is some laws of the land that determine what is good and right and proper. I'm not talking about the the goodness and the rightness of Oh, and we should be obeying the laws of the land. Um, it's, not the, it's not government policy that determines what is good enough. It's not even the church that determines what is good enough. The reality is none of us are qualified to draw a line and say, you know what, this is what I reckon the standard is, and this is the measurement, and none of us have the right to say, you don't match up to the standard that I'm setting. Good enough. Who determines that? I believe that the message of Easter especially the message of the cross, has an answer. And it's an answer that our world so desperately needs today. We are constantly bombarded in this world that says we're not good enough. A world that's quick to point out how far short we fall. Our body shape isn't good enough. Our teeth aren't wide enough or straight enough. Our parenting isn't, isn't good enough. The results from our school or our university or, the, or the, uh, the, the performance level at work isn't good enough. Our, the, the, our best efforts aren't good enough. 
And it seems no matter how hard we try to please our spouse or our friends or our parents or our teachers or our boss, it seems in many ways that it just doesn't seem good enough. That's somewhere inside of us that we, where the world expects it and we know, we think we should be able to do better. We're thinking, oh, I should be able to achieve more. I should be able to save more. I should be able to give more. And we end up in this endless cycle of striving, this endless cycle of realising we're not good enough and, we're, and we'll never be good enough, certainly not good enough for the standards that others may set on us. And we end up in this cycle of failure, defeat and despair. We endlessly strive to please people. And for those of us who are Christians, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, but typically the longer we've been a Christian, we can feel that we're letting not just other people down, it can even seem, it can seem that we're not good enough for God. And that's not true. And so this morning, over this or this weekend, so this is our Good Friday service, and I'll be following this service up on Sunday. If you're around, we'd love you to join us at uh, 9.30. <coughs> That's the right time, 9.30 on Sunday. Um, this morning's service goes for one hour, so I've got to talk extra fast. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> who said that? I'm going to go really slow now. And if you stay, if, it, if we're here longer, it's because of Mel. <laughs> Over this weekend, I particularly want to look at this concept of being good enough. And I want to look at Easter's effect on, on a particular disciple of Jesus. Probably the most famous disciple of Jesus, the most famous of the bunch. Of all the disciples, this guy, he had the loudest vow, voice, unlike other people here, and the most radical faith in Jesus. According to the records in the Bible, this guy actually walked on water. This is like a game. You just press your buzzer when you know who is it. This guy was actually there when, when Moses and Elijah came and they, they, they met with Jesus as Jesus was transformed. Any buzzers? I'm sure you've got it. This guy was there when Jesus lays Lazarus. Jesus was there when he la- raised Lazarus. Jesus was there when he raised the little girl from the dead. Jesus was there. Yeah, of course Jesus was there. This other guy was there as well. And if you were to ask me who was the loyalist disciple, who was the bravest disciple, who was the most faithful disciple? Who would we pick? Peter. Peter. That's the one. So, I want you to meet Peter. I know we've got a couple of Peters here. I'm not going to embarrass any of them here today. But before we get to the context of Good Friday, which is what we're trying to remember today, I want us to rewind a little bit, a little bit back half a day, starting on Thursday night. The context is this is Jesus' last meal with his disciples, his 12 closest friends. Jesus was, Jesus was very intentional. Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen. But his disciples didn't have a clue. A bit like me sometimes. But let's read the story in Mark chapter 14. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. As they were eating at the table, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. 
Greatly distressed, each one of them asked him in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body. And he took up a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and... I've lost my page. I spoke. The covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn, and they went outside to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Before we go to the next verse, Jesus is sharing the meal with his disciples. If you know the Easter story, uh, there's one of his disciples, Judas, who is the one that would betray him. And so at that point, this, this Easter story is found in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You'll find the same story through different lenses. And some of them will tell the story about Judas walking out and, and you know, just leaving at that point. In this situation, we find Jesus then having his last supper, going to the garden. And then he addresses his disciples. After I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Who said something to him then? Peter. Peter says, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Even if everyone else runs away, even if everyone gives up, even if everyone chooses to do the wrong thing, Jesus, I'm your man. I'm never going to desert you. In fact, I am go- I'm willing to die for you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you don't even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other vow, others vowed the same. You know what? What Jesus said, I'm with him. I want us to watch a, a little video clip. And I want you to hear the story from Peter of the events that occurred after this. Thanks, Meredith. They say a rooster crowing is God's wake-up call. Yeah, that's, uh, at least that's the way it was for me. Everything, that, that whole night was a blur, all right? Um, I didn't comprehend, none of us could comprehend everything that was going on, all right? We were all in the upper room, Jesus was washing our feet. Um, then we were in the garden, Jesus goes off to pray by himself. I fell asleep, I'm not proud of it, I had a big meal, bread makes me sleepy. Next thing we know, me, James, and John, Jesus is in our face, and he's trying to wake us up, and uh, he said, um, he said uh, the, the, uh, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, and, and then before we know it, Judas is kissing Jesus on the cheek, I try to go help him, I cut off this guard's ear, for the record, I wasn't aiming for his ear, I'm a fisherman, not a swordsman, and then they, uh, they arrest Jesus, and they take him off, and we 
ran. And it wasn't but two hours earlier that we were in the upper room. I was looking at him. I was looking him right in the eye saying, if everyone disowns you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you. I love you. And I think that's what made me stop, turn around, go back. And uh, I caught a glimpse of Jesus as they were taking him to the high priest's house. Stood at the gate, and some girl comes up to me, starts pointing at me, starts going, You, you're with him. You're with this man that claims to be the Son of God. You're one of his disciples. I felt like every eye was on me. So I just brushed her off. I said, You don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong guy. I get my way into the courtyard. And uh, it's cold. I, I try to warm up by the fire. And then there's this guy that recognizes me. And he is uh, from the ear incident, you know, and starts going, get him, get him. He's with him. Just arrest him. Get him. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. All right. I wasn't with him. It was easier the second time to deny him. sometime right before morning and um, this wise guy he comes up to me and goes who are you kidding alright who are you fooling you're with him I can tell by your accent I'm like this is just the way I talk alright and, and the whole night they kept pushing him around they kept beating him they kept spitting on him throwing insults at him and I couldn't take it anymore I had enough I was tired of people accusing me looking at me and I, and I just I said a few things that I'm not proud of but I was like leave him alone you don't know what you're doing alright just leave him alone I wasn't with him And that's when I heard the most blood-curdling sound I ever heard in my whole life. I heard that rooster crow. And at that moment, Jesus, he turns around and he looks at me. He looks at me. And his gaze, you can't escape his gaze. I mean, when his eyes are on you, you cannot escape it. And they arrested him and they took him off. I will die with you, Jesus. As everyone, if everybody disowns you, I will die with you. What a, what a joke. I mean, what would you do? At that moment, at that time, I ran. I ran so fast. I ran so long. And you know what they did? They killed him. He's dead. That's quite a dramatic telling of the story that you might have seen on TV or you might have watched or you might have read Depending on how long you've been in church, you might have read that story dozens, hundreds of times. As I listen to that story, I find, I find myself in that story. 
I, I find myself at times when, when, when I certainly don't feel good enough. There's times when my, my love for Jesus, my expression to serve him and follow him, there's times when I'm ashamed of how I live or what I do. For Peter, there's a feeling of absolute failure and ultimately letting down the one he loved the most. And so this morning, as we try to wrap our heads around being good enough and try to wrap our head around what Good Friday shows us and what truth Good Friday brings to us, because there's great truth in the story of Good Friday. I think it's important we we ask ourselves a question, is why did Jesus have to die? Peter ended up, that, that wasn't the real Peter in case you're wondering. Peter ended up, he said they killed him. And that's true. But the reality is that's a choice that Jesus made. And Christianity, I want to rewind a little bit. In fact, I want to rewind a lot. Because Christianity starts, the, uh, it's based on a fundamental truth that you and I were created by a loving and a good God who created us to be in relationship with him. That is the core foundation of Christianity and we find that revealed in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says, well, look what the Bible says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. This is right in the very first chapter of the Bible. Male and female, he created them. And four verses later, then God looked over everything he had made and he saw that it was very good. The Bible says when God created mankind, he didn't say, you know what, that's good enough. He didn't say, that'll do. He didn't say, well, I guess we'll just work with what we got. God looked at his creation of mankind and he said, you know what, what I have created is very good. And he creates you and me in his image, in his likeness. And he looks and his, his desire towards you is to let you know that I've created you to be more than good enough. I've created you to be in perfect, right relationship with me. And that was in the Garden of Eden, in the very first chapter in the Bible. And the, the, the issue we have is that that's how we started in relationship with God. Then our friends, Adam and Eve, they decided to turn their backs on God and from that day, we discovered that that perfect relationship, that perfect standing that we had with God was shattered. That we were separated from God. That our friendship with God was broken. All of a sudden, we once who were good enough, once when we were perfect, all of a sudden we were not good enough. <coughs> not only that, we were incapable to ever fix the problem of the broken relationship we had with God. We need to remember that God is good and right. It also means that God needs to deal with wrong. A good and just God cannot possibly allow the, 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 the evil and wickedness in the world to prevail. I'm sure if you think about it, you, it's, it's not right that, that the wicked wouldn't get punished. And so a good and just and right God needs to establish the fact that the wickedness will be punished. He needs to deal with wrong. And the Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 3, it says, For everyone has sinned 
And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The Bible tells us that without Jesus, all of us aren't good enough. All of us have this gap that we can never cross. But for the cross. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, is death. That's the message of Good Friday. As a standalone, if there was no Easter Sunday, if there was no season three, if there was no next thing, the message of Good Friday would be the wages of sin is death. Jesus took upon himself our sinfulness. And the consequence of him taking on our sin was the judgment of God and the wrath of God. All of us have sinned, all of us have messed up, and all of us fall short of God's standards. Can you imagine God looking at his creation that he created so good and right, and all of a sudden our choices had us turn our back on him? And our choices, and I I try to teach this to my children, our choices, your choices, have consequences. You do this, there's a consequence. You stick your finger in a PowerPoint, there's consequences. Not that they've done that, almost though. If you do the wrong thing, there's consequences. If you speed and the speed camera's there, there's consequences. Our life is a sequence. It's not a sequence. It's not a world we live in that is, that is a, a list of rules. It's a, it's a principle that there's life and there's choices and there's consequence to those choices. Can you imagine the heartbreak of our Creator who loved us so much? In fact, one of the most famous verses in the Bible would tell us this. For God, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We had a good creation. We had a mankind that made a choice that separate. We chose to separate ourselves from God. But God has a plan. Tell the person next to you, God has a plan. And tell them it was a good plan. Now stop talking. Please. We discover that in the beginning that God put into, into motion a plan that would see this, this issue of us never being good enough. God put into plan, he initiated the rescue plan. From the Garden of Eden we discover that from the very moment that we turned our back on God, that he put into a plan that there will be a way that we could be made right with God. And, for, and this plan, certainly if you look at your Bible, the largest chunk of your Bible is the Old Testament. And the story of the Old Testament is the story of a Jewish nation. And from the beginning, they were privileged to be known as God's people. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, that nation could only ever relate to God through this elaborate sequence of sacrifices and religion and rituals. The only way that they could ever be forgiven of their sin is, is these, these hundreds and hundreds of animals that needed to get sacrificed. The, the death of these animals, the, the blood of a lamb sprinkled upon an altar would be enough according to the Old Testament. That was the only way that mankind could ever find atonement or could find uh, uh, forgiveness and being made right with God. The problem with the Old Testament plan, it wasn't God's final plan. It was a temporary plan because... It wasn't enough. It was only temporary. Only every year they had to go through, every week they had to go through the sequence of forgiveness and sacrifice. 
And man was never able to get back to that place of perfect relationship. There was a better way. And that better way, there was a much better way that we could become good enough. There was a way that God put into plan that we could be made right with God. And that plan involved Jesus. The bottom line is, none of us in ourselves could ever be good enough for God. You might be thinking, well, Mark, that's pretty harsh because you know what? I'm not that bad. You know, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't, you know, I haven't defrauded anyone. I, 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 haven't, I haven't done all this stuff. And I'm here to say all of us, if you, if, in, the, in the most quiet moments of your life, if you, if, you, if you could deal with maybe the offence you might have with me indicating that you're not good enough, if you think about your life and you think about your selfishness and you think about your, your, your desire to, to please yourself and, to, and to, to turn your back on God and to, if you, if you, in an honest moment, if you were bold enough to have an honest moment, I think you'd discover, you know what, there's probably some things in my life that I'm probably not proud of. There's probably some things in my life that, I've, that I haven't surrendered to God or, or I've been living my life disregarding a God who is pursuing me with a reckless love. In your honest moments, I think you'd realise if you, if you were bold enough to have that time, you'd discover, you know what? I'm really not good enough to be friends with God. There, there, in fact, there's probably no line of goodness I could ever achieve. And I often use this illustration. I think it's really helpful. If, if, this, is, if this is the line of, of perfection... If, if, this is what, if this is the line that God needs for you to be perfect, if this is, if this is good enough, if, if you can cross this line and God says, yep, that's it, you're done, it's good enough, you're fine, beauty, mate. If that's the line, I'd ask you to consider the different spaces you can be on that line. And if you could think of maybe someone who you think is probably one of the, one of the good people in the world, let's, let's pick uh, Mother Teresa. Now, I reckon... She'd, she's not there, true. She's not, she's, she's not perfect, true? So, but she'd be up the top, yeah? She'd have to be somewhere between perfect and good enough to, I think she'd be up there. Then we've got like Billy Graham, the great evangelist, you know. He'd be up there. You think uh, a lot of the Christian heroes of your faith, I'm sure they'd be up here somewhere. How about you? Where, where do you fit on this scale of, of good enough for God and, and not good enough for God? Where, where, where do you fit? Where do I fit? And hey, I'm, 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 not, I'm not there. You know that. My wife knows that. I'm somewhere. How about Hitler? Where does he go? Under the floor. <laughs> I want you to think about the reality is, is none of us are good enough for God. There is always a gap between our goodness. There's always a gap between all the good we can muster up, all the money we could give, all the people we could, uh, we could help, all the poor people. There's always this gap. And the message of the cross is that Jesus bridges that gap. It doesn't matter if you're a mother Teresa with a little gap or if you're uh, the, the worst of the worst with a big gap. The message of the cross is that Jesus covers the gap. That's the message of Good Friday is that Jesus makes us good enough. That's good news. Who thinks that's good news? I think that's awesome news. 
And God put into motion a plan that would make us good enough. The Bible tells us that when the time came, God sent his son born of a woman. Christmas, we celebrated this wasn't that long ago. We celebrated when God came, born as a human, and entered our world in the form of Jesus. And for 33 years, this man Jesus, this this good man, he was good enough. The Bible tells us he was a perfect man. The Bible tells us that he didn't sin. He'd be up there. He's the only one that's ever up there. The Bible tells us this good man, he came and he gave us a glimpse of what our creator, who our father is like. He gave us a glimpse of his love and forgiveness. He gave us a glimpse of his kindness. And he showed us that God is all powerful and loving. And he told us that nothing is impossible for those who would believe in him. And Jesus invites all of us into relationship with the Father. He says, you know what, you can, you, you can be made right with God. But, but all the, the, the sacrificial system didn't do it either. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament, all the blood of animals could never fully make us right. We kept dropping below the line. Jesus came and he, and, and, he, and he loved people. He cleansed everyone with skin diseases. He opened the eyes of the blind. He, he, he opened the ears of the dumb and the mouths of the mute. Jesus accepted the worst of the worst. And Jesus hung out with those who were cast out by society. Jesus hung out with all those people like you and me who probably would never think they're good enough or even bother trying because their life is a mess. Jesus chose to hang out with those people. And he invited them all not to just follow him, but to believe in him. So Jesus stood up against the religious people. He, he, there, was a, there, was a, there was people, and the ones who particularly wanted to crucify Jesus, were the religious people. The, the Jewish leaders at the time, they were threatened by this good man. And they tried to impress everyone because they tried by keeping the law, they tried all they could to do and be right and, and obey every one of the 620. You thought there was 10 laws in the Bible. There's like 623 that the Jewish people, and these people tried so hard to obey every single law, but their problem was that still wasn't good enough. And these religious people didn't like Jesus showing them up as frauds, because on the outside they looked like they had it all together, but on the inside they were far from God. So the religious leaders plotted to have Jesus arrested and killed. But what they didn't know, that this was part of God's plan. What the Jewish leaders didn't know, that God had put into pl- a plan in motion from the garden that required him to go from the garden to the cross. He needed that to happen. Jesus came with a single agenda. Jesus came to make a way for you and me to be made right with God. That's the reason he came. Mankind had no way to ever be able to make ourselves right with God. So Jesus says, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. And so he came with a single goal in life, to die our death so that we can live his life. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he willingly took our place. He, he, gave, he, he took our standing before God, which wasn't very good. And he gave us his standing with God, a beautiful exchange. Our mess for his beauty, our sin for his right standing, or the, the church word we use is righteousness, our being right, made right 
with God. Jesus makes us more than good enough. Jesus makes you more than good enough. Jesus gives us right standing with God. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you if you are if you've given if you've surrendered to him. If you it doesn't mean you've got to be perfect, but if you said, "You know what? I understand what Jesus did for me and I want to and I and I'm so so thankful for what he did for me on that cross." If we if you could believe that, if you could understand that he did that for you, that he he makes you more than good enough. He makes you right with God. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, he became that sacrifice that fully covered our sin. The wrath of God that should have been poured out upon me and upon you for our rebellion and our disregard of God, that wrath, that punishment was poured out upon him upon the cross. And when Jesus cried out his famous last words, when he said, it is finished, he declared that God's plan was complete. There is now a way that mankind can now be made right with God. It is finished. There's no more sacrifices that man needs to make in order to be made right with God because his sacrifice was perfect and his sacrifice is eternal. The way to be made right with our Father is by putting our faith in what Jesus did. It has got nothing to do with what we can do. It's got nothing to do with our good works or the money we give away or the poor that we help or the homeless people that we house. It's got nothing to do with what we can do because we can never make ourselves good enough. It has everything to do with what he has done on the cross. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we are invited to partner with him. As we bring our service to a close... There's one more thing we're going to do together. We're going to, we're going to share a meal. Not a very big meal. Not, there's not a lot here. You won't, this is not going to be a breakfast or brunch. This is not even going to be a snack. But we're going to gather together along with two and a half billion people across the face of this planet. As the sun rises across this, this world that Jesus came to die for, churches and people are going to gather and they're going to, most of them are going to gather and they're going to celebrate, because Jesus told us to, celebrate the Last Supper, to celebrate what we call communion, where we can commune with God and we can commune with one another. If I could get our attendance, if we could just start handing the whoever I'm looking at. And as they come past, I'll just encourage you, just hold them. Just uh, if, if you feel comfortable, we'd invite you. Come and share with us a meal. And uh, the invitation is that we would understand what Jesus did and what he gave us. But as it comes through, if you could just hold it in your hand. Hold the cup and hold the cracker. The question that we started this service with, am I good enough? That's the whole theme of Easter, am I good enough? All our striving, all our endeavours will have limited results. And without Jesus dying on the cross, we 
could never be good enough. Never, ever be good enough. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came that he would make us more than good enough. Jesus came that he could make you and me right with God. We can be restored back to friendship with God. We can regain the position we had back in the Garden of Eden where we had free relationship and we, had, we could experience God's love and God's presence at any time. Jesus came because he is good enough, because he is perfect and he is righteous and he exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness. Paul tells us in Romans, Paul tells us that we are made right with God. How? He tells us by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Hang on a sec. I can be made right with God just by believing? Yeah. You mean I don't need to try hard? No. You mean I don't need to give money to the church or to the poor? No. I don't need to work out and and, and help people? No, you don't need to do any of that to be made right with God. All your striving is irrelevant. It's, it's, it's futile. The Bible tells us the only way we can be made right with God is simply by pay, placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone. That includes you. That includes me. Because, and it doesn't matter who we are. For everyone is sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God... I love this verse in 24. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, he declares that we are not good enough. Is that what it says? It doesn't even say that. He doesn't declare we're good enough. My Bible tells me that God declares that I am righteous. That's more than good enough. God declares that I am made right. That's more than good enough. Why? Because oh, and he did this through Jesus Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That's the cross. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's too easy. Yeah. That's what grace is. Grace is something none of us deserve. Grace is something that we feel that, that you know, I, I, this, is, this is not for me. It's, it's undeserved kindness. The reality is God's gift to you is free. It's a free gift. Today you can receive that gift. If, if you're a Christian, you've already received that gift. And today's a great celebration of the righteous standing you have before God. If you're not a Christian or, or maybe you've walked away or, or you're visiting or you're working out this whole Christianity thing, can I encourage you? Can I exhort you? Can I ask you to consider what it means to believe in Jesus, to put your faith in him? Putting your faith in him means I'm not putting my faith in me because I can never make myself good enough. Putting my faith in him says I put my faith upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God's gift is free. It doesn't cost you anything. But it was not cheap. It cost him 
everything. Cost him his life. Thanks. And so as we gather around this meal that, well, snack, it represents two things. The story we read earlier, Mark put it this way. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. We've got a cracker. And as Jesus broke the bread, he said, as you break your bread, and I'd encourage you, if you've, got, if you've got a nice round one that's not really broken, break it. And as you do, I want you to consider that he was broken. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was, his back was carved open. Why? For you. I'm going to pray and thank him for his body. Why don't you just break your cracker? Jesus, I just thank you for your body that was broken for me. And Lord, broken for each one of us. And Lord, I just, we're just so grateful. We're just so thankful. You can eat, eat that cracker. Then he took a cup of wine. This is what the grape juice that you have would represent to you. He took a cup of wine. And he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to his friends. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood. This represents my blood. In the same way the cracker represented his body that was broken... His blood, this juice represents his blood that was shed for you. And he says, this blood confirms the new covenant between God and his people and it is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus, I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that without the shedding of your blood that I could never be forgiven. But because you've shed your blood that once for all time that your blood is powerful and it can cleanse me and I can receive your forgiveness and peace. Drink your juice. If we could all stand together, please. You know, one of the uh, we're going to close the service in just a minute. I know we went a smidgen longer, but I know you forgive me because it's Good Friday. <laughs> one of the verses of the songs we sung says, "You take our failure, you take our weakness, you set this treasure." In jars of clay. So take this heart, Lord. I'll be your vessel. I'll be the container. I'll be the thing that carries you. I'll be your vessel. The world to see your life in me. As you had your cracker and as you had the juice. 
in a, in a, in a symbolic sense, we consumed and we have the life of Jesus now inside of us physically. But as believers, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've got his life in you. I'm going to pray and then we'll be finished. So, Father, this morning we thank you for the cross. And, Jesus, we pause and we acknowledge and we thank you. But, Lord, we thank you that the cross is not the end. Lord, I thank you that Sunday came. And I thank you, Lord, that the life, the resurrection life by the power of your Holy Spirit that came on Sunday is available to us. Lord, help us to consider this day and help us to remember that no matter whether we've betrayed you or denied you, as we think of the first disciples, Lord, help us to understand we're all a little bit messed up. But Jesus, your death and your resurrection makes us righteous. And no matter what people say about us, no matter what whisper the devil has over us, that you've declared us to be righteous because of the cross. And for that we say thank you. Amen. Amen.